today on Binge Reading, Kiwi-based mystery author Fiona Leach and her Nosy Parker Cornish Mystery Series. A London police officer switches careers, retreats to a small English village to reinvent herself as a chef, but she just can't seem to avoid solving crime. Welcome to the joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series. So you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and on the show today Fiona talks about A Cornish Recipe for Murder. That's the latest in this Cornish mystery series where Jodie enters a great bake-off show on TV and of course it features lots of food as well as the occasional murder, inevitably the occasional murder. But before we get to that, our giveaway for this week is Mystery Reads, a good selection of mystery books. I've got Unbridled Vengeance, book five in my Of Gold and Blood series, but there's lots of other authors in there as well. Details for where to download these free books are in the show notes for this episode on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. Julie McElwain features on our monthly encore feature as a preview for two weeks on Patreon before going to general release. Her Shadows of Time, her latest book in the time travel mystery series that we featured earlier in the show, involves an FBI agent who gets transported back to Regency England. Terrific fun. That'll be on Encore, binge reading on Patreon for two weeks before it goes to general release. Don't forget, you can encourage my endeavours on the show by either becoming a Patreon supporter for less than a cup of coffee a month, or you can join me in buying me a cup of coffee on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, wheel, W-H-E-E-L, and then a big X, a big on the cheek. That's it for the housekeeping. Let's get on with the show. So today, Fiona, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for asking me. Lovely to be here. Look, Fiona, we're going to be particularly talking about book five in your Jodie Parker, the Nosy Parker mystery series today. And I noticed when I went on your website that they've been relaunched with really fancy zingy covers and quite different from the earlier ones you had, although those were nice, but obviously in a completely different style. What's been going on behind the scenes with that series? Yes, well, I'm glad you like the new covers because I absolutely love them. I'm like low-key obsessed with the new covers because they're so nice. They're very classy. Really what happened was the first three books were, when they came out, the publisher was really aiming, I think, at the US market kind of more so than the UK market, even though the publisher's in the UK. So I I don't know why they were so convinced that, you know, the US was the, the place to aim everything for. So really those covers were targeting the US. They were the kind of covers that a lot of the cosy mysteries that sell really well over there have. So they're very bright and colourful. They've got, you know, cakes and things on them. And although I liked them, I have to say I was never entirely convinced because I think it kind of emphasises the cooking side of things 
too too much you know the baking side of things and it's not about that that's just kind of in the background then we released book four which is our Christmas book and that sold really really well but what they did was they had a kind of an experiment so they released it in the US with a similar cover to the first three with a cake and everything on it and then they released it in the UK with a much more classy cover like the ones we now have and I think they've taken for their inspiration for that cover things like the books by Richard Osman um, and Janice Hallett and all that kind of thing which are again they're cozy mysteries they're very English cozy mysteries which I think my books are and it definitely hit a chord I think with the people that were buying the Richard Osman books because the Christmas book just kind of flew off the shelves. It did amazingly well, much better than we'd expected it to. While in the US, it kind of sunk slightly. It didn't do quite as well. So the publisher then sort of had a a good look at the sales figures and everything. And they thought, well, well, obviously, that's really hit a chord with UK readers because the first three had done all right in the UK, but not as well as we'd hoped. So... That was the thinking behind re-releasing them all with the new covers. And it's really worked because, I mean, book one in particular has just really taken off now. And that's like a year and a half after it was first out. And it's it's definitely down to those covers, I think, because they definitely reflect, I think, the tone of the books much better. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It's so interesting that a cover, and, you know, I've just been actually at the Romance Writers Conference here in New Zealand in Wellington at the weekend, and they emphasised how important it was for covers to fit the genre. I mean, they could be a fantastic cover, but if they're not what the readers are expecting from that particular genre, they'll just pass over them. They've got a very strong idea in their heads as to what the sort of book they like to read should look like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the old saying, isn't there, about you're not supposed to, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but that's actually complete rubbish <laughs> because we all do it and that's what they're there for. So and in this case, it's it's kind of proved that that's a total lie. You really do judge a book by its cover and it, so it should reflect what's yeah. inside. Yeah. yeah, look, that's interesting. Now, you've mentioned that they are based in Auckland, in, sorry, in, in England, in a small country town so they're very much small town mysteries you sum it up as Cornwall cooking handsome detectives and a Pomeranian named Jermaine now I'm sure all the dog lovers are going to love that give (laughs) us an introduction to Jodie and her world okay well Jodie is an ex-police officer and after being caught up she's been living in London she was in the Metropolitan Police Force but she's originally from Cornwall down south in the UK And after a nasty divorce and after being caught up in some quite nasty terrorist attacks and things in London, she's moved down to Cornwall. She's quit the police force. She's taken her teenage daughter back to her childhood town of Penstowen in Cornwall. And she's hoping to, you know, start life all over again, start afresh. She's really into cooking. She loves cooking. That's always been her way to de-stress when she's been in in the police force so she's retrained the plan is she's going to have a nice simple quiet life with her daughter running her new business away from her useless ex-husband and it's all going to be very calm she moves in near to her slightly dotty mother who still lives there her 
dad had died a few years previously and he was also in the police force. She kind of followed in his footsteps and he was in charge of the police around there and he was very well loved. So there's always been a bit of a feeling for her that she's tried to follow in his footsteps but at the same time she's kind of lived in his shadow a bit because he is so well loved. So really... The, the feeling is she's moved there. She moved away to, to get away from the pressure of living up to him, but now she's moved back. Are people going to be expecting her to be like her dad? And can she resist yeah. <laughs> being like her dad? You yes. Know, sticking her nose into things. So um, yeah. They're very confidently located in the English countryside, but, of course, you currently are living in New Zealand, not very far away from me, I discovered no. <laughs> just now, very close across the sea in Auckland. But I can obviously tell from your accent that you weren't born here. There's just a no. wee, wee tang there that says to me you're not a born Kiwi. So obviously you have a lot of experience in mm. the English scene and the English society. Tell us a little about that. Yes, well, I've I've moved house and I've moved country. Well, I've moved hemisphere several times so <laughs> I actually I was born and grew up in London and I kind of when I met my husband we moved around a, a little bit we actually lived in Cornwall for almost two years I think we lived in St Ives which is a real kind of holiday place and it's beautiful and when we moved down there my parents thought oh this is nice so they moved to Devon which is kind of the next county along and my sister said, oh, well, if everyone else is going. So she moved down to Cornwall as well. And then, of course, my husband and I moved to New Zealand. <laughs> um, unfortunately, they didn't follow us that far. <laughs> so we've been, we live, actually, we lived in New Zealand for about eight years. We made the mistake of going back to the UK one Christmas, which made us terribly homesick. So we moved back to the UK. <laughs> then, of course, we missed New Zealand. So five years later, after our son had finished high school, we all moved back here to New Zealand. <laughs> but we're currently planning to move back to the UK again because with, with things like COVID and everything, it's yeah. just made us realise as yeah. much as we really, really love New Zealand, it is such a beautiful place. And we wouldn't have wanted to have been anywhere else, to be honest, during all the pandemic and everything. We feel very lucky, but it's made us miss family so much. Yes. Um, the majority of whom are still back in England. Yes. So, yeah, so we are heading back that way probably in about six months, I think. It'll be a while. But, yeah, so we've, we've moved around a lot. So, yes, I know, <laughs> I know Cornwall and I definitely know England well enough to write about it, but I'm wondering now, once I've moved back to England, if maybe I should write something set in New Zealand. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. So, yeah. <laughs> so would you ever use the word permanent? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things. I think I've got a little bit of gypsy in me. I think, you know, maybe I just need to keep moving about. But yeah. I think... Every time I've sort of said that to my husband, he's like, no, no, we're not moving again. And then obviously now we're looking at moving back to the UK and we'll be moving to a part of the UK we've not lived in before. It'll be completely new for all of us. So it's like a new adventure. So yes. who knows? We yeah. might, next time we speak, I might be living in Italy or <laughs> Singapore or somewhere. Who knows? And that's what keeps it interesting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, look, going back to the food for a minute, the food in this book, she takes part in one of those, like the great 
England Cake Bake Off sort of TV series. She takes part in a TV series in this town where she's living, more, more or less is invited to make up numbers. She's not a, she doesn't think she's going to win. And she is conducting a murder investigation at the same time as she's trying to do the cooking. But the cooking does feature very prominently. And she, and because it's a competition, she tries all sorts of complicated dishes or the other contestants are making con- complicated dishes. So it's obvious you not, you seem to know heaps about cooking yourself. This is what I'm getting to. Do you do a lot of those dishes that you've mentioned in the book yourself? Yeah. I mean, the end of each book has a recipe. And I have tried every single one of those recipes. If I can't do it, then I don't put it in the book. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm an amateur, but I'm a very keen amateur cook. I think I've been lucky in the for the last kind of 20 years, I've not had to have a full-time job or a full-time job out of the house. I've worked from home, which has meant that I've had time to, you know, actually go and cook dinner properly. I haven't come in and just... I had to shove something in the microwave because I'm tired. So yes. I've really had time to kind of expand on my own cooking skills. And it is something that I really like doing. And I like the fact, like, like Jodie, when Jodie's stressed, she'll find a recipe, even something that's very complicated. So you're concentrating on that recipe and following it step by step. And it's really good for de-stressing because your mind is off your problems. It is just on this recipe that you're following. And I found exactly the same thing. And sometimes if I'm feeling a bit down or a bit fed up, I go into the kitchen, I put some music on, and I will dance around the kitchen baking something. And that's kind of my happy place. So that... It's kind of the same for Jodie. I quite liked the idea that she had the same way of de-stressing as me. And, of course, at the end of it, you get to eat cake. So, (laughs) you know, what's not to like, really? (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely. Now, we mentioned this is book five in that series, but you have done quite a number of other things, including the Bella Tyson series, which is about, quotes, the misadventures of 40-something award-winning crime writer, Bella Tyson. Now, I noticed that this is the second series where you've had a, a woman character as the main character who is what we might call an early midlife. She's not just starting out finding her first love. She's either like Jodie divorced or at least had some life experience, maybe has a family or not have a family, but in that slightly later second stage of adult life, I suppose you might call it. Is that a sort of period that attracts you you find it interesting to write about yeah I think because I did my first that was my first novel was actually the first Bella Tyson one Dead in Venice and I wrote that when I was 48 so I'm kind of I think I'm obviously attracted to writing about old women because I am one (laughs) And, and you know it's a lot of certainly a lot of movies a lot of books but not so much these days it was always about younger women particularly sort of romance novels, always used to be younger women, at least sort of maybe 30s would be kind of the oldest. And it was just, you don't you don't suddenly cease to exist when you hit 40 and you don't <laughs> stop being romantic, you don't stop being silly, you don't stop making mistakes. And, of course, you've got all this baggage behind you, which can be really interesting and it affects who you are and it makes you the person that you are. So I just think in a way... It's more interesting for me, certainly, 
to write and to be honest and to read about people that have had more kind of life experience and the fact that they're women I wouldn't necessarily you know say that I would never write a male protagonist but I do I just find it easier obviously to write women being one yes and just and yeah and the age group I just feel like we're more interesting than people Mm. give us credit for Mm. because we've been through a lot And because of our biological function, there is always that question of whether we're going to have children or not, and there's a time clock on that, which men don't have the same way. So that introduces a whole other sort of aspect, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There is, I mean, as much as you might have decided already, you know, you're never going to have children, there is always still that question. Yeah. Even if other people asking you, yeah. you know, are you going to have a family? Is it too late? And you might think, I don't want one. <laughs> still ask you. And then, of yes. course, if you do have a family. That then affects every other part of your life. Mm. I mean, since I became a mum, it's like the best thing I've ever done. I would never, ever criticise a woman who decided they didn't want children. But for me personally, it's the best thing I've ever done. But it just makes your life bloody difficult sometimes <laughs> but also really rewarding and it's I think it's it's kind of nice to have the opportunity Bella hasn't got any children so it's quite nice to write about her life and maybe indulge in a little bit of fantasy about what my life might have been like if I'd never had children whereas Jodie has got a child so again I kind of I can tap into sort of her motherly side when she's, you know, talking about her daughter and everything. Yeah. So I, I, that's why I quite like having that balance between Bella and Jodie. They're kind of two sides of the same coin in some respects. And are you still writing the Bella series? I haven't for a little while. I have got some more ideas for her, but Bella is self-published. Oh, okay, um, yeah. The reason for that is the very first Bella, Bella book, Dirt in Venice, it was picked up by Audible. They published it as an audio book, but which was great, but it then made it really quite hard to find another publisher that was just interested in taking the ebook and the paperback rights. Yes, of course. They all yeah. want audio these days. So I kind of shot myself in the foot a little bit there. Um, but I just hadn't realized at the time that it would make it awkward. So I ended up self-publishing the ebook and print versions of Bella. So that's kind of meant the rest of her story is going to have to be self-published. Um, so I have got some ideas, but because I've, I'm actually contracted to write the Jodie ones, I kind of have to get them out of the way first before yes. I return to yeah. Bella. Yeah. But all the time I'm thinking about things that, all oh, that sounds like something Bella would say. Because she's a bit more, um, a little bit more controversial, I think. She doesn't hold back when she's yes. talking. She's, yeah. she's a, I'd, I'd say she's probably like a sweary Jessica Fletcher from Murder, she wrote. <laughs> um, if you can imagine that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how did Audible find you if you were just a first-time published author? What, how did that happen? Well, that happened, I actually started off as a screenwriter. Well, I mean, we'll kind of talk about that a bit later if you like but so I had this script and I really loved it and a friend of mine said well you know if you don't think it's going to get anywhere as a screenplay it would make a fantastic novel so that's what I did I thought well I've never written a novel before because it's so many words it's a bit daunting but I had the script as kind of an outline for it so I just sat down and managed to write a novel 
based on that script. And I saw that Audible had a crime writing contest. Uh-huh. And I just thought, oh, well, you know, I won't get anywhere. It was the first draft. No one else had read it of my very first novel, but I didn't want to miss the deadline. So I just sent it in and sort of forgot about it. And then I heard that they shortlisted it, by which time other people had read it. So I changed it a bit. But I sent the new version into them. And it it didn't win, but it was one of three finalists in this contest. And they decided that they were going to publish all three finalists because they were all so good. They were, were ha- so happy with all of them. So that's how that came along. So it was that's wonderful. Um, Fantastic way to start. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, it was all down to this kind of spirit of mad optimism and overconfidence <laughs> sending that book out in the first long one. live that long well, you know <laughs> yeah that's it exactly so if yeah. I just got to thought about it yeah. I wouldn't have done it <laughs> We will move on to talk about the rest of your life because you've had a very interesting one. But before we do, I just want you to mention about your collaborative work. You've also done a book collaborating with a friend, haven't you? Tell us about that one. Well, that's with Sandy Barker. And she's been on our show already, yeah. Yes, yes, she has. Now, she's kind of known more for her. She's got a holiday romance series. They're great fun. You can travel around the entire world with Sandy without leaving home. <laughs> yeah. And they're great rom-coms as well as being, you know, having all these amazing locations. And we're with the same publisher and the same agent. So we kind of got talking on social media. And we're now, we've got a, a group of four of us where we've all kind of bonded. We were all originally with the same agency, although we're not now. And we're like our little band of renegade sisterhood of writers. And and we talk to each other all the time online. And I've never met any of them face to face because one of them's in the US, one's in Scotland and Sandy's in Melbourne. And obviously I'm here in Auckland. So (laughs) we talk to each other all the time. And Sandy had had this idea of something completely off of her normal kind of genre that she wanted to write a sort of kind of a sort of psychological thriller kind of thing and obviously she knows that I quite like writing crime stories and mysteries and all that sort of thing so she she had a chat with me about it we had a zoom meeting where we really discussed it and so we thought well we'll have a go at writing together so we kind of wrote she wrote half of it it's about two different women so she kind of wrote one side of it and I wrote the other side and it was it was great because although they're kind of separate stories they are linked and you don't realize straight away that they're linked but it meant that Sandy would write her side of it and she'd send it to me and I'd go oh right well now I can do this and it will link into what you've just written and it was it was great. It was a really interesting way of working because I know other people that have worked together and they have literally been writing the same bit together, yes. which I'm not sure if I could do. Yes. Because it is a kind of a question of you'll put one word and then someone will say, oh, I think we should use this word. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm too much of a control freak <laughs> to <laughs> do something like that. But this way was perfect because it was kind of we both have our own story, but they're linked. You know, and it makes perfect sense when they're together. So that was really, really good fun. We're currently, we sent it to our agent and she kind of had some feedback for us. So we're going to do a bit more work on that when we both get a chance to. I mean, Sandy's been obviously very busy writing her 
holiday romance series and she's got a new Christmas one coming out soon as well I think so and I've had the Joji ones obviously so it's kind of taken a bit of a back seat for the moment yeah, yeah. But has it got it, a title yet it's called the passion project but it might not be that when it comes out no, That's yeah. what it is at the moment it's great it's very different to it's certainly very different to what Sandy's written in the past and for me, although, again, it is kind of an investigating kind of thing, it's more serious. There are some kind of quirky, light-hearted moments in it, but it's not funny. I mean, the Jodie books are actually funny. Yeah, uh, that's it's, right. It's, it's yeah. a bit more serious. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Look, you say on your website that you've experimented in lots of different areas of media, and you mentioned your script writing. Tell us a little bit about that, and how was it that it took you to be nearly 50 before you wrote a novel, if you were writing a lot of things? Um, yeah. Well, like a lot of writers, I think I've always written. You know, I loved English at school. I was always writing short stories and things like that. But I also really liked acting, and I'd be in the drama club and we'd make up plays and things like that. So I went to university and I did, well, I, I did, I tell people I did half a degree because I dropped out <laughs> halfway through, but I did half a degree in English and drama. And it was soon apparent to me that, well, you know, I may have wanted to be a leading lady, but I don't look like a leading lady, unfortunately. I've got comedy sidekick written all over me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, it was, I don't like auditions and things like that. It's just horrible. So I thought, you know what? If no one's going to cast me, I'm just going to write my own stuff. So I started writing more like sort of comedy sketches rather than screenplays. And I even had to go at doing stand-up comedy. I'd written myself a stand-up routine, but it was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> so <laughs> I will not be doing that again. <laughs> so, But I did this. It was actually quite a big stand-up gig. It was for the BBC. Again, it was one of these mad optimism things where <laughs> it was a contest and you had to send in a tape of you doing your stand-up routine. Well, I didn't have a stand-up routine, so I wrote one, which I'd never performed anywhere. I recorded it. I sent them the tape. That shows you how long ago it was because it was a cassette tape. <laughs> I sent that off on the Monday. On the Wednesday, they rang me up and said, what are you doing on Friday? So that Friday, so I'd gone from like not having even any material to that Friday doing my first ever stand-up gig. And it was with some quite big comedians on the circuit at the time. And it was terrifying. And I just thought, I don't want to do this again. But one of them actually took me aside and he, he said, your material is really good. But so he said, you know, keep writing, definitely keep writing. He didn't say keep performing. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought I, I will write for other people. And that then kind of worked into writing sitcom pilots and things like that. And I kind of, I did that on and off. And then I became a mum and I didn't write for quite a while. And then once my son kind of got old enough to not need me too much, I then started writing again. And I just, I started writing sitcoms again. Couldn't really get into that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to see if I can write a film, like a full length film, feature film script. And I did quite a few of those. And I sent, I sent them in again to the BBC. They have a kind of regular open window for scripts. And they were doing really well. And they were kind of getting, you know, halfway. It was like always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. And that was then when my friend turned around to me and said, you know, why not try and write it as a novel? But, I mean, in the meantime, while I was also doing that, I'd been 
working behind the scenes on kind of low budget films and stuff. So I've done a bit of camera work and video editing and that sort of thing. So I've done lots of different bits and pieces, but, you know, never at a particularly high level. And it was, it was kind of like I knew I needed to do something creative, but I wasn't sure what it was. Yes. And then I wrote that first novel and it was like, ah, <laughs> this thing I've been avoiding doing for so long because there's so many words involved and it's so scary. Actually, I love it. It's brilliant. So that was it. Yeah. That's what set me on the road to being a novelist. But Fantastic. I had to try all those other things first, I think, to get yeah. there. Yeah, that's wonderful. Look, we're starting to run out of time a little bit. So talking about, you know, this is binge reading. We always like to ask people about their taste in books and what they like to binge read, what they'd like to recommend to other binge readers of the show. Okay, so, well, I actually, I've just finished binge reading. I just discovered Jane Harper. The Australian author. Yeah, yeah. And I will neither confirm nor deny that it only started because I watched the film of The Dry purely because Eric Banner was in it. Yeah. Um, Gorgeous, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So then I thought, that's actually, you know, not only was it quite nice to look at, it's a really good story. So I went and bought the book and read the book, loved the book, bought the follow up. And I've just this morning finished reading The Lost Man which is not in the same series, but it's all in the same area, all in the outback and everything. I I love her books because I think particularly with things like The Dry, the main character is a police officer, but it doesn't get too kind of bogged down in police procedures and things like that. It's far Mm. more human, which is what I try to write. The idea of a police procedural or reading one does nothing for me at all. So I think that's why I really loved it. He's a believable police officer but without all of the kind of procedural stuff. And just the way she writes about the outback and everything, I have actually, inspired by her, I have actually written my own outback novel as well now. And that's with my agent at the moment, so I don't know if anything will happen with that. We'll see. But obviously that's very different to Jodie. But it's all inspired by Jane Harper. So if anyone out there hasn't read Jane Harper's books go and get them yes yes really really good yeah so if that if that one does take off will will you plan it as a series that the outback one I've definitely got ideas for a follow-up I don't think it would be as long-running as Jodie yeah basically because I don't really know the outback very well whereas I know Cornwall and the location everything for Jodie well enough I could think of lots and lots of different cases for her to handle. But I love the characters that I've come up with for the Outback one. So we'll see. Again, another older lady. (laughs) (laughs) Another old lady like me going through (laughs) menopause in the Outback. So, um, yeah. (laughs) I think I can anticipate the answer to this next next question, but it is one I always ask people. But with your mention already of your optimism, I think perhaps... I could anticipate your response. Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing that about your writing or your creative career that you could change, what would it be? Nothing. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I might have thought a bit longer about taking the Audible <laughs> offer. Um, but no, I mean, to be honest, I probably would have done that as well. I think everything that you go through as a person and therefore as a writer as well affects you. Yes. And it's, and it's an experience, and I don't think you should, I mean, unless obviously it's something horrific, I think you shouldn't regret anything and or 
you know, really want to change anything about your life. Yeah. It's you to where you are now. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't think I would change anything about the way I've got to this point. So, and if you get, if you get asked by young writers for your advice on how to be a writer, what do you tell them? What's the best snippet of gold that you can offer them? It sounds really obvious, but right. Yeah. The amount of writers I know that they say, oh, I want to write this, but I'm too scared that it won't come out right. Or what books should I be reading about writing? No, <laughs> don't. I mean, yeah, some things you might want to read up about, but you'll actually learn more about writing by writing. Yeah. Um, if you're writing yeah. novels, read lots of novels, but I think most writers naturally are great readers as well. Yes. You decide you want to write one of your yes. own. Yes. Uh, you know, I get sort of asked, what's the best book on writing craft? What should I be reading about this or about structure? And I just think everyone knows you're born with a kind of innate knowledge of storytelling. You've got a beginning, a middle and an end. And something happens in between them all. That's it. Just sit down and write. Yeah, that's Wait so right. Mm. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. So looking ahead over the next 12 months, we, we look, sounds like you've got a big international house move coming, but what have you got on your desk for the next 12 months? That's going to disrupt your writing a little bit. Well, a bit, <laughs> yes. So book five, A Cornish Recipe for Murder, that comes out, that's actually on the 18th of August, the mm-hmm. ebook comes out. So obviously the next week or so is going to be all about publicising that. Then I've got book six in the series is coming out um, I can't remember when it's, I think it's spring next year, but I'm, I don't know for certain what the dates are with that one yet. So that's, that's on the table. Obviously, hopefully my own Outback novel will do something as well. And I'll be working on the one that I've written with Sandy Barker as well. So there's all of that. Plus, <laughs> I've got some ideas for another kind of cosy mystery series, but set in London which I thought, having been born there, maybe I should write something set there as well. <laughs> um, lots and lots. I've got so many ideas for things that, you know, I want to write, but I haven't written yet. But I will. <laughs> I will write them. So, yeah, I'm going to be busy over the next 12 months, I think. Very busy. I quite believe that you will write them. That's absolutely right. <laughs> there was another stat, actually, that comes to mind that this that was mentioned at this conference I've just been to. Something like, of people say they want to write books Mm -hmm. and about 83% of that 97 never do a thing about it. (laughs) No, that's it, exactly. Everyone says, and this is quite often you'll get people say, "This is." I think this is why you get the thing where people say, oh, I've got a really good idea for a book. You should write it. (laughs) (laughs) You write it, it's your idea. (laughs) Just go and write it, it's fine. (laughs) Do you like interacting with your readers and where can they find you online? Yeah, it's lovely. I mean, I've had I've had some really nice comments from from readers. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I, I quite often I've had quite a few nice sort of chats with people on Twitter, which is always good fun. I have got a contact form and a chat thing on my website. 
that's sometimes quite hard to manage the time difference on this. So it's better to just send me a message rather than try and use the chat thing. That just kind of appeared without my say so on the website. <laughs> I'm not um, great on technology. I'm great at making it look lovely. So the website looks really cool. I don't know what all the bells and whistles do. So the best thing is to do to send me a message or find me on Twitter is probably the easiest one, to be honest. Good. But it's, you know, it's lovely. It's lovely when you hear from readers. Fantastic. We will have the links to all of those social media things and your books on the show notes for this episode. So if people go to the website, The Joys of Binge Reading with the podcast, they'll find all of those things linked in there. Look, it's been great talking today, Fiona. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely talking to you. Next week on Binge Reading, Whitney Shara's historical novel, The Age of Light, which takes us from the glamour of Paris in the 1930s to the horror of World War II battlefields in a startlingly modern love story based on the true life of fashion model and gifted photographer Lee Miller, the former Vogue cover girl who once said, I'd rather take a photograph than be in one. That's next week on Binge Reading. That's it for today. Bye now and happy reading.